Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Casual Man Catter, the point in the universe where cricket and obsession intersect. G'day there and thanks for tuning in to today's program on the Casual Man Catter. And the Big Bash final was on last night as I record this. And the Brisbane Heat, who have arguably been the best team all year, probably even inarguably been the best team all year, managed to get away with a win over the Sydney Sixers at the SCG. Uh, a very comfortable win in the long run. Uh, being asked to bat first, and once again, that old bugbear of mine winning the toss and deciding the field, uh, they made 8 for 166, and the Sixers were rolled for 112, which at the time seemed like a really strange thing to do. The SCG wickets are not renowned for uh, holding up, for batting, as it comes to pass over time, and certainly it looked worn as it was, even though Apparently, he'd been given you know, plenty of time to, to roll it to a hard wicket. But from the opening first few overs that the Brisbane Heat batted, it always looked that it was going to be tough chasing any sort of a score in the second dig. And realistically, 140 maximum was what Sydney had to keep Brisbane to, I think, at that time. Uh, and of course, they got away a good uh, surge in the middle overs between Max Bryant and Matt Renshaw ensure that the team got up to 166 for the loss of eight wickets. Once again, Josh Brown at the top of the order, following on from his century the other night, made 53 from 38, batted particularly well again. And maybe um, most impressively, Nathan McSweeney, the captain, batting at three again, scored 33 off 32, but he looks to be a very mature cricketer. And of course, he is from Queensland, he moved to South Australia last season in order to get a game in uh, Shield Cricket. And he's rapidly moving up uh, the order when it comes to uh, picks to play for Australia. I would suggest perhaps at the test level rather than maybe the T20 or one day level. He looks a really handy cricketer. Bowls a little bit as well. Seems to have a good head on his shoulders and has proven to be an excellent captain this year for the Heat. So I think he's probably one to look uh, look at over the next couple of years, but not necessarily in the short form of the game. Uh, the Sydney Sixers, once again, Sean Abbott took four for 32, but uh, their problems were Hayden Kerr went for 32 off his two, and Dwarshus wasn't quite as effective as he has been in the past. They are bowling Todd Murphy a lot less than you would expect them to this season. I know they've had Stephen O'Keefe for his final season playing this year for the Sixers, but Sock would often get his four overs, and deservedly so, but Todd Murphy didn't quite get the same amount of bowling that you would expect from someone who's done so well at the highest level for Australia over the last 12 months. That may have been um, a mistake from Moses Onriks, who doesn't make many. He's proven himself to be a terrific captain for the Sixers over a very long period of time, and he doesn't really make too many mistakes when it comes to pulling the reins. 
Batting for the Sixers, they never got going. Edwards and Philippi and Onrix all got a start and then Phil uh, trying to push the pace. And in the long run, never looked like getting to the, the, the total. Uh, I think once Philippi was dismissed at 56 to be the third wicket down uh, in the ninth over, the Sixers were always going to struggle from that point on, despite having a fairly lengthy batting lineup. I mean, if you've got Sean Abbott coming in at nine, you'd have to think that you know, you're a fair chance of chasing the runs down, but they just got left with too much to do and were never really in the hunt. Once again, for the uh, for the Heat, uh, Xavier Bartlett, who's just been picked in the one-day squad for Australia, uh, finished with two for 12, got the last two wickets and two balls, but bowled well early again. Spencer Johnson, again, was the absolute star with four for 26 off his four overs. But the spinners for the Heat, who have been so good over this whole tournament, Matthew Kuhneman, none for 16 off four, Swepson, two for 19 off three, especially on the Sydney wicket, they're always going to be uh, very tough to handle. But they've been playing half their games in Brisbane or at uh, Carrara, of course, and they've still been doing the same job. So... Paul Walter was the import who stuck with him the whole way through and keeps doing a job. Um, looks innocuous, <laughs> to be honest, when I'm watching him on TV, but he keeps doing the job for the Heat. So the Heat are the champions for the Big Bash for this season. Um, and of course, anyone who was listening to my earlier podcast would know that I picked the Heat to finish dead last this year. So once again, great job, Bill. So do we call this season's Big Bash League a success? There are obviously less games this year. The uh, Cricket Australia decided to shorten the competition. And as a result, there were bigger crowds to most of the matches. And obviously in Perth, where (laughs) you seem to be almost in a different country, they really took on uh, big crowds over there. But to be honest, they started off quite large at uh, 42,000, I think, and then started to drift away to about 28, 25,000 by the end. Sydney had their biggest ever BBL crowd uh, in the Sydney Smash where Steve Smith and David Warner both were playing. So I think you'd have to say that the shorter season was a success for Cricket Australia. Whatever they had to do in order to uh, convince the TV networks that they needed to have less games rather than more. The problem now comes about trying to make a better focus of the competition going forward. Now, the fact that the finals played on a Wednesday night doesn't really sit well, even though it's still in school holidays. Uh, we had the, the previous final played on a Monday night in on the Gold Coast. Just really strange days to be playing finals cricket. Surely you would think that you could play both those finals on a Friday and then a Sunday, and then that allows more people to watch it and to enjoy it without feeling as though they have to get ready for work the next day and all that kind of thing. So, in essence, shortening the season by about five more days probably will work well. So that means, obviously, that you would have to find a way to get more of those games into a shorter space of time. Now, they didn't utilise a uh, situation where they have in the past, like on New Year's Day, where they've played three games on New Year's Day. That's something they could certainly do going forward. Um, You could certainly play uh, more than just the double headers on the Saturdays. You could have more of those being played. 
um, and then other days where you can fit them into the competition without making it feel as crowded as it used to trying to fit 57, 58 games into a period with only an extra week to do. Starting the competition the week before Christmas would be ideal. Now, this year they started before that and then they had a break for a week in order to play the test match against Pakistan, which was in Perth, and so therefore they couldn't play night games because obviously on the East Coast the test match went to the late times. So they need to be able to do that better, which would mean um, having the test match, the third test match perhaps next season, running up to about the 18th of uh, December, and then starting the Big Bash then, which would mean that players only have to come a week before Christmas, the overseas players, and then they could also leave by about this time, by about the 19th of January. So the whole competition could run over a month. And there's a lot of benefits to that because, in theory, you could have overseas players who would be committed to coming for a month and knowing they're only going to be here for a month and they're not going to be here for the better part of two months. So even though there were less games, there were bigger crowds, There was a better focus on the competition as a whole and there was less cluster with all the other cricket that was going on at the time. So it worked much better and it just needs a little bit more tightening to get that right. Now there were less big names from overseas who came to play in this year's competition but did our competition really miss them? Because there were so many more local players coming through and getting their opportunity at this level that actually did something as well and then became folk heroes to Australian crowds. And that was a really good thing. There was obviously the couple of periods where there was the injection of test players back into their big bash clubs, even if it was only for one game. And that also worked well. And it was shown that the test players don't have to be in this whole competition, which is a problem that South Africa are dealing with, that they say all of their contractor players must play in their T20 competition. The best thing that's happened in the BBL is it's shown that it doesn't need Australia's best players, or test players, let's say, playing in the competition for it to be a success. Having them come back in between test matches or after the test matches are finished gives the competition the oomph and the the push that it probably needs at a couple of points to really get crowds back and um, bigger crowds into watching the games. So for Australia, at least, that works really well. So I would suggest that that is the best way to continue to play that. What they really need to improve the competition going forward now is firstly get rid of the draft. The draft has been there for two years and it's proven to be just a waste of time because Cricket Australia are setting... um, the amount of money that they wish to inject into the clubs to allow to bring big-name players out, but they want their cake and they want to eat it too. So they say, well, these players are worth this much, and so these players are this worth this much. And then the draft, you have to pick someone from the first level, and then you have to pick someone from the second level. And in the long run, the clubs are looking for um, value for money. So someone like Faf Duplessis, for instance, who was a platinum-level player, I think they called it, uh, both seasons, both seasons didn't get picked up because he could only be here until just after Christmas. So you're expected to play to pay exorbitant fees and top dollar for a player who's only going to be out here for a couple of weeks. So the draft never worked in that regard. And I think 
they need to just get rid of it. And they need to go back to allowing the clubs to decide who they want to sign and for how long they can possibly sign them. Cricket Australia should be saying, here is your money, here's your marquee money, and we'll offer you this much, whatever it is. If it's, if it's a million dollars, there it is. You've got a million dollars for marquee money. Now, you can spend that all on one player if you want. If that's the way you want to go, good luck. Or you could spend it on two players, or you could spend it on three players. And in that way, the clubs can negotiate with the players they want for to strengthen their team where they need, where they believe they uh, have the weaknesses, and they can negotiate with these players to hopefully get them to stay for the whole competition. Now, if the schedule was tightened just a little bit and brought back to sort of that just past maybe mid-January, then it's more likely that these marquee players from overseas, you could convince them to say, look, if you if we make the final, we're going to be playing up to January 19. I'm not going to be playing to January 26 or into February. So they're more likely to say, look, how about you come and play with us for the Big Bash? And instead of leaving a week early, like many players did this time, to go and play in South Africa or play in the, the Abu Dhabi and that kind of thing, perhaps they'll stay here in Australia for the whole series and they'll miss the first week of that series and then they'll turn up there afterwards. Now, that would be a much better way for Australia to go. Now, I know there's bigger money uh, on offer in the overseas tournaments, but surely if we can get clubs to negotiate with players early on and sign them up first before they sign with one of these other clubs, then they would have to say, right, well, we're going to stay with Australian clubs and just go and play a week later for these other tournaments. And then you have the imports staying rather than going at this point of time, which is you know, a bugbear for some of the clubs here, during this tournament, obviously with Laurie Evans leaving the Scorchers, that was a big hole in their team when they made the finals, given that he'd scored most of their runs and been their best batter for the whole tournament. Um, but by doing this, perhaps we could have him stay for longer and stay here for that last week, and then that's a good thing. So the draft going is the first thing that must go. Tighten the schedule just a little bit, just condense it a little bit to not finish as we're going to on the 20, as we did, sorry, on the 24th. Uh, hopefully finish maybe the 18th or the 17th or something like that. And then um, by doing that, then you have the rest of January available for ODIs, international T20s, whatever else they want to do for the rest of the month before Australia goes off and tours in other places. I think that's really important um, to go forward. And I say that um, by then asking the question, which we'll discuss now, is are imports ab absolutely necessary part of our competition as is being made out to be? So this is the question, and I guess the headline is, can the BBL survive without big-name imports? And to be honest, I think the answer is yes. And it's been shown that that can happen, and it just needs a little bit of extra thought going into it as to making sure that it's uh, that you can future-proof the tournament and and the Australian summer as well because of that. So we've shown, certainly if we look on this season... Now, there were some terrific performances by the 
import players. Don't get me wrong. They they played their part. Alex Hales was a part of that. Uh, Laurie Evans, as we've said, for the Scorchers was very much a part of that. James Vince, once again, for the Sixers, played an important part in their season. Uh, we saw Colin Munro at the start of the year doing a great job for the Heat. And we saw perhaps the impact that Rashid Khan not playing for the Strikers did. But let's face it, the Strikers finished third. And when it was said that Rashid Khan was going to miss the tournament through injury, everyone threw their hands in the air and said, well, that's into the Strikers, me included. And it wasn't that way. It didn't turn out that way. They found, guess who they found? They found some local spinners. They found they got brought in Cameron Boyce, who's played for everyone. They brought in Lloyd Pope from out of the blue. And look what he did at the end of the tournament. So it's not just the fact that they uh, lost a terrific uh, leg spinner in Rashid Khan from overseas, but they had two other leg spinners who came in and did the same job, who are Australian players who are unheralded and then became heroes, especially uh, in that that fabulous victory over the Scorchers over there in Perth. Uh, that, that was just a great win. And, and the four spinners, they had those two spinners, they had Matt Short as well, and they had Ben Menenti as well, who also took a wicket. Fantastic. And that's where the Australian players can future-proof the BBL and have been doing now for like 13 years. Don't get, it's Australian players who have made this tournament. It's not the imports who come in for their, their time and they do their job and they go home. It's the Australian players. Now look at uh, someone like Matt Short, who's now the player of the tournament for the last two years, uh, how far he's come along. Now in the Australian setup, and you would think over the next 12 to 24 months he's going to take a much bigger role in white ball cricket at least, and if not, moving into test cricket. Uh Josh Brown in that match on Monday, uh, 140-odd off 60-odd balls. Just a club cricketer in Brisbane. And, and how big a name is he now? Everyone just loves him. And that was the innings of the tournament in one of the pressure times of the tournament and handled with aplomb. Uh, Jake Fraser-McGurk, who has come onto the scene and, and not only did it at domestic level in the one-day game with the fastest ever uh, domestic one-day cricket century, but did the same sort of thing in the BBL for the for the Renegades uh, and had a really good season and now has been rushed into the Australian ODI setup as well. Spencer Johnson last year came out of nowhere. No one had even heard of him. And then he started playing for the Brisbane Heat. And then look at him now. He's playing for Australia. Uh, Lance Morris again had another good season and again just bowling fast in Perth. Everyone loves him. Paddy Dooley last season, the unknown left-arm spinner who no one knew who he was, who became a folk hero for the Hurricanes. And then you've got someone like Cooper Connolly in Western Australia, who's a terrific gun young batsman, who's played for Australian under-19s, was important in winning the final for the Scorchers last season, and played some really handy knocks and bowled some very nice, very handy spin as well this season. These just That's just a handful of names who have jumped out of the skin from the Big Bash over the last couple of years that, if without, without the Big Bash, would not be known at all. They probably wouldn't even be in the setup because of the way uh, cricket is domestically in Australia at this point in time. But now their names are out there, not only do they have an opportunity to play in other T20 leagues around the world if they want to, or get their names to get picked in the Sheffield Shield, they can then not only try and 
make their name and get picked for Australia in white ball cricket. But some of them are already being looked at for red ball cricket for Australia. And Lance Morris has already been on that radar. But certainly Matt Short and Spencer Johnson are right up there with being considered over the next couple of years as being a chance of playing for Australia in test cricket. And no one at the moment, I don't think, would consider that Jake Fraser McGurk is not an opportunist and a chance of doing that. He started so young as a 17-year-old for Victoria uh, that he's still got so much time in his hands and hits the ball so hard that there's similarities between the way that David Warner started his career before making the test team and the way that Jake Fraser McGurk is going about it. So can the Big Bash survive without big-name imports? It certainly can if it's marketed correctly and that we don't stuff up the way that the the system works. And I think that's the important thing is that all of the, the eight teams need to work together and with Cricket Australia in order to make sure that the competition continues in a positive fashion and doesn't uh, just become part of the furniture. Now, the first thing was actually um, condensing the competition this year. It was recognised that it was too long. It, re- it was recognised that um, fans were becoming blasé about it, and so they've shortened it this season, and it's had success. Now, they need to be able to push that forward and do that again next season. And that's why I say about going about um, future-proofing the tournament and the Australian summer is by ensuring that we continue to have um, big-name imports coming to Australia and playing in it, but that they're they're not the be-all and end-all. It is the local product that is so important that needs to be nurtured and given every opportunity to succeed in order to make the competition succeed. And for me, that's where the joy is. The joy is seeing someone like Josh Brown come out and score that 100 out of nowhere against a very good bowling attack. It's about seeing someone like Fraser McGurk, Jake Fraser McGurk, suddenly working out what his batting is and how to succeed himself and seeing him succeed. It's like seeing someone like Spencer Johnson coming in bowling at 145 to 150 clicks and really sticking it up batsmen. It's the kind of cricket that we all want to see. And that's the reason that the Big Bash is still important in the Australian summer, but it needs to be just the certain part of the summer and not too early, not starting too early, not finishing too late. The administrators and the clubs and Cricket Australia and the players all need to get together to ensure that it's done properly so that the fans continue to support it and that it also then nurtures Australia's talent to get to the top level in all forms of the game. So for all of those who listened to my first uh, podcast episode on this particular new podcast, rather than where all my old episodes were, uh, and listened to me talk about the Big Bash for this season and how I thought it would go, um, I'm sure that you'll be pleased and happy to know that uh, I picked the Heat to come last this season, and I picked the Scorch, uh, sorry, the Strikers to come second last, and that was proven to be wrong with both teams finishing in the top three this season so uh, 
Well done, Bill. That was great. Uh, I more or less got the Thunder and the Stars right. I picked them to come 5th and 6th, and of course they came 6th and 8th. The Thunder, oof, oh, they've got some real troubles, haven't they? And almost as much as the Renegades, who I, I know surprised a lot of people that I picked them to come 3rd this year, and uh, instead they came 7th, uh, <laughs> which is more likely. The Renegades and the Thunder, that would be a great episode to do. Like, which of these two is the worst T20 franchise in world cricket? Because surely they're right up there. Uh, the Thunder have had a terrible time at the start of the Big Bash. Uh, then they somehow won a Big Bash, and then they've been back down the bottom again. The Renegades also came out of nowhere to win one against the Stars that should never have won, and then haven't looked like it since. Um, and they're an old and ageing team, and they've already had... Uh, Two of their players, Finch and Sean Marsh, both retired now. So where they go from here, anyone knows. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do. Um, maybe just uh, sack everyone and, and have another crack later on, eh? Uh, so yeah, uh, once again, my choosing skills for, for the cricket was completely wrong. Uh, I picked the Hurricanes to come first this year. They, of course, missed the finals by three points. <laughs> So they missed it by a mile. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it shows, uh, to me, I that's how good I am at picking T20 cricket results. And also, what T20 cricket is all about. It is unpredictable that any team can seem to win on their day no matter what. We've seen that at the international level, where we've seen some uh, very big-name uh Teams have been beaten by lesser teams, and we certainly have seen it uh, in the Big Bash again. But it's amazing how often the cream rises to the top. With like, I mean, I, I know the Scorchers didn't win it this year, but um, once again made the finals again, and the Sixers made the finals again. Constant there every season, and that comes down to terrific team management, and stability, because both of those teams have very stable player lineups and have for a very long time, and so they have continued success, whereas other teams sort of chop and change and try to find a way to turn their seasons around. Um, so what will happen next year? Do you want to pick the Renegades to come last now, or do we wait until the start of the season? Man out at long on, but he needs to be 25 seats back. So with the big bash over, we move into the test match, uh, between the second test match between Australia and the West Indies. And then we have the T20s and one days against the West Indies at all as well, um, which will be interesting to watch. Obviously, the uh, squads have been selected for those. Um, we have some players... The Xavier Bartlett and um, Jake Fraser-McGurk, for instance, have uh, come into the team due to injuries. So they'll be good to watch. Um, well, let's wait till the next episode, shall we? And uh, we can we can review the second test match, and then we can talk about the white ball cricket to come. Thanks once again for hanging around this long and listening to me ramble on, which is all I do, and I appreciate that. Um, and as always, I hope you'll come back for the next episode of the casual man catter. Cheers. Oh, just reach out and catch it, Jeffrey. What a magnificent hit.